0: Welcome to The Real World Season 9, Episode 23. Shout out to everybody that's been watching. Shout out to everybody that's been supporting. Shout out to everyone that supported our Haiti humanitarian um, relief trip that happened two weeks ago. Shout out to everyone that contributed to that. Shout out to everyone that donated to our gala that came out to the gala. Um, As you've seen, we fed over 100 families in Haiti and we also helped the school. We helped a couple individuals. Helped rebuild homes and all the other things that we did during our two weeks in Haiti. So shout out to everybody that supported. If you still want to support and donate, that's www.therealwordministriesinc.org. That's therealwordministriesinc.org or Cash App at, at dollar sign therealwordinc. That's dollar sign therealwordinc or PayPal. You could look up the Real Word Inc. on the PayPal Giving Fund. And um, we have a very special guest with us here today. Introduce yourself, sir. Hi, Ricard. I'm Paul Zolman,
2: and I'm the founder of The Role of Love.
0: What is The Role of Love? Tell us.
2: The Role of Love, actually, is a, a name I put on a die that I created that has the five love languages on it. There, you can see it has the, wor- the words on it, time, service. The gifts and touch. Mm-hmm. Five love, five love languages. Six sides on the dice. This one surprised me. Mm-hmm. So just two, two instructions, Rick. You roll the die every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's the love language you send out. You practice giving away all day that day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like a setting a theme for the day. It's an intention that you're going to love all day long, and in, intentionally, I put pictures on it. There's no words on the die at all. And put pictures on it so that it's kind of a memory hook. That it's just gonna, you know, people, a lot of people are visual people, mm-hmm. they'll remember what the picture looks like, what they're doing on that day.
0: Okay, okay, okay. But my question to you would be then, where did this love language thing come about? Because I realize as of lately it's been um, popularized in pop culture. And even therapists now they use it a lot more, but before it wasn't as popular as it is now. Where where do you think that originated from? Well
2: the, the original, original person that came came to um, that created or or discovered the love languages, the principles of the love languages, was Dr. Gary Chapman. And he published a book first in nineteen ninety-two called The Five Love Languages. So Dr. Gary Chapman is a reverend as well, and he he thought that these five love languages that we just went over, the touch, the words, service, time and and the gifts, all those five love languages are things that Jesus Christ did in his lifetime. Mm. And so so in order for us to follow Jesus Christ more uh, perfectly this was created. The love language is created And and Dr. Chapman further found out that people have what they call a primary love language. And I'm in agreement with all that. I'm so grateful for Dr. Chapman identifying this. But I didn't really get his application, so I had to create my own. So what my problem was, Rick, was that I was raised in, in a childhood of abuse. You know, there were. Uh, my father was gone during the week. He'd come home on the weekends, and we could expect a belt or a spanking, severe spanking um, on the weekend. I remember one time I was black and blue for more than three weeks at, at one from one spanking. And the distance between what I did and and the punishment were so far apart, I never remembered what I'd done. I only remember the punishment. And so it was really really kind of a hard situation from that circumstance though, I had a lot of pent-up anger, a lot of residual anger left over from my childhood that I was trying to get rid of as an adult. And even though though I'd say I don't want to be angry, it's a negative statement. I don't want to be angry. Mm -hmm. Um, and and just sometimes something would annoy me. And what would happen, Rick, was that I'd be stacking those annoyances. I'd be annoyed, I'd be annoyed, I'd be annoyed, and then I'd flash. Wow! And get really upset, and get angry, and that I'm sure was part of the, uh, what contributed to the demise of my first marriage. After twenty-three and a half years and, and eight children, you know, eight children, eight, yeah. Wow! I, 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 <laughs> no, Rick, that's calm. I had a grandfather that had nine children in Indiana, and and then his wife passed away. And uh, this was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Nine children in Indiana, his wife passes away. He's so distraught that that um, he sells the farm and he sells all the equipment. And when people come to pick up the equipment, he'd say, and would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would, like would you like this child? And he gave them all away except for one. And they took, that, took Benjamin with him to Montana. And in Montana, he found a schoolteacher had never been married and he married her had 10 more children of which of which my father was number six Mm -hmm. so there you've got 19 children now and when my father my father was born in 1922 and when he was 10 years old in 1932 that grandfather his father passed away so now you have 19 children out there with abandonment issues 1932 is right the middle of the great depression so now you've got financial issues on top of abandonment, and it's just just some mental health issues all throughout there. Well, my father toned it down. He only had 11 children. Mm-hmm. Then the 19, like his father, he had 11. And then I'm toning it down a little farther. I only have eight.
0: Did, did you guys grow up on a farm?
2: No, oh no. No, no, he, he was a truck driver. When my father, when my grandfather passed away, my father was only 10 years old. And because of the economic issues, um, he only was able to make it through eighth grade, and he had to drop out of school. And so he became a truck driver, and just that's what he did for his whole life. Wow! And so he was gone in the middle of the week. He'd come home on Friday nights and and have a date with my mother. He always had a date on Friday night with my mother. When you say date, you mean intimacy? No, I I just mean they went they went out. Oh, yeah. But it, but it wasn't wasn't um, you know it wasn't very creative. It was always the ma- maverick bar, and it was always drinking involved. And while he's getting drunk, my mom's telling him all the bad things that all the kids did. I'm sure she started at the top. But by the time she got to me, I'm number ten of eleven. And by the time she got to me, my father's just like up here. He's just like ready to blow. And uh, and so when that happens. I, I felt like I got the brunt of a lot of that.
1: Wow. Sounds so that like was a the lot, anger.
2: Yeah, so that was the leftover anger that I had. And up until about age 35, Rick, I was blaming my father for all my failed relationships, all all the things that went wrong, socially awkward things that went wrong,
0: all well, the relationships that went Wait, failed. wait, wait. We, we skipped a big part, though. So you're saying your father had nine kids, did, did all nine of you grow up together in the same house?
2: No. My
0: father had eleven children. Oh, sorry, sorry. Your father yeah. had eleven, and you have nine children. No, I have eight. Oh, you have eight. My, sorry. My
1: grandfather
2: first had n- nine with his first wife, and then ten with his second wife. Sheesh.
0: So Nineteen altogether. <laughs> okay. So, did all eleven of you grow up in the same house together? Well, the first three passed away, so I didn't know the
2: first three, so... Oh, that's uh, So, um, yes, we all grew up in the same house together, all the ones that were that remained. There were eight of us, eight children there.
0: Wow. And did you guys grow up in the city, or you guys grew up in the country, or you guys grew up in a rural area, or...? Well, it's Montana, so it's... it's.
2: Uh, you'd think it would be rural, but you know, I have a funny story about that, Rick, that, you know, I, I went... When I was seventeen, I left home trying to escape that that type of environment. I left home and went and lived with my brother for six months um, before he, he he and his family were transferred down to California. While I'm dating in California, wait,
0: transferred by who? The military?
2: Oh, his company, just just uh, uh, his business. Okay, his okay. Business transferred him down there. Okay. And so I'm dating this girl, and she's got a horse, and she she's thinking, oh, he's from Montana. Maybe he'd like to ride a horse. I've never, never ridden a horse in my life. So so i feel feeling like John Wayne here, Rick. And I'm gra- grabbing the saddle just like the movies. Grab, grab the saddle horn. And I kicked my foot over. And I kicked way too hard. I landed on my butt on the other side. of The wow. horse. And she's laughing her head off. I'm from Montana. Don't even know how to ride a horse. And she's from California. It's just a funny, funny thing. But just one of those things that... Um, yeah, I have these dating mishaps once in a while, and that was one. Yeah,
0: one. but I think the whole thing with her and the horses in California, that's probably a wealth thing, you know. The whole equestrian lifestyle, that's more connected to wealth, I feel like.
2: Well, yeah, and I think her, her father was well-to-do, but, you know, when you're 16, 17, you know, I don't ever remember thinking that way. Oh, your father's a lawyer. I wanna date you so that you know, we'll be able to get into that money.
0: <laughs> what, are you thinking of that? what are you thinking of that? More people than you think, especially women.
2: Uh, it was not never me. I, I never thought that way. I never never it just never even crossed my mind. Yeah. Know, if they lived in a nice side of town, I wonder what did your father do to do that? Oh, he's a businessman. Well that doesn't make any sense to me. I how do businessmen make make enough money to live in a place like this? And it just really never crossed my mind that you know I wanted to marry yeah you know, a sugar mama.
0: <laughs> it never crossed my mind. So you grew up in a middle class home, you would say, or or what would you describe your upbringing?
2: I, I would probably say it was probably lower lower middle class. Um, it was not it, it was not exotic. We I remember our rent on the house was um, in the 70s was a uh, hundred dollars a month and it was I think it was five bedroom, a five bedroom house. Mm-hmm. So that's probably equivalent to maybe a thousand or dollars a month now mm-hmm. or, or fifteen hundred a month. Mm-hmm. Not much really, Not that's not much rent. When you think about what rent you're paying where you're at mm-hmm. um, and compare it to a thousand or a hundred dollars for a five bedroom house in Montana. Um, yeah, it's it's on the lower end, lower scale.
0: Yeah, of course.
2: Old, old home. I mean, it's a, that's a good thing you brought that up, because I, I really never discussed that. My parents were so afraid of buying a home mm-hmm. that they always rented, always rented. They never, I, I think they owned one home in their life, they bought it for $11,000 way back when, before before I was born, mm-hmm. and they bought it for $11,000, and they got, they're so... Um, uh, you yeah, had the, the maintenance on it and being responsible for the taxes and, and all that. They just thought, this is too expensive. I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And they went back to renting. So they sold the house for exactly the amount of money that they bought it for. <laughs> and really, well, it, it comes back from education, right? You know, remember my father only went through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And so as you, as you become educated, and you, you make better investments. So what I'm I'm trying to tell you about this die is that it's an investment of two seconds at the beginning of your day. And at that two seconds, you're determining, I'm going to love in that way today. Mm -hmm. That's the love I'm going to send out. And as I've studied this, Rick, what what happens is that love is really kind of directional. But I can't bid it to come my way. Mm -hmm. If I ask somebody to love me that way, they might do it in a dutiful way and it might turn to pure love, but it's it's more dutiful if I ask somebody to love me in a certain way. So what I figured out is that we only have control over two directions, sending it out and reacting, or reacting obviously appropriately when it comes our way.
1: Mm.
2: Those are the only two things. And what I found is that rolling the die, you'll learn all five love languages within a 30-day period. I was amazed, you know, I still had that problem, that problem of stacking, annoyance on annoyance on annoyance and then flashing. I still had that problem, my brothers had the problem, my dad had the problem, we all had the problem. And so it must have been a generational thing that passed down, that when things get tight or tough, we just get annoyed, but it's more than that. It's looking at somebody else and what they're doing and making a judgment call based on our own experience we shouldn't even be in that lane. We're not their judge. Jesus Christ, thankfully, is the judge for everybody. And if we remember that, it's so easy to stay in our lane. I don't have to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to be like this. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. And you make that determination to love. You'll find all the five love languages that you you can know them backwards and forward by giving it away over that 30-day period and then you can see it, it improves your vision. So you've got this peripheral vision, you can see it when it comes your way. Because what Dr. Chapman discovered in in that 1992 book Mm. is that most people with their primary love language, they want to give that primary love language away, hoping that it's going to come back. But that's transactional, that's not love, that's a transaction, Mm. and love is not transactional like that. Love really to me is giving it away without any expectation of it coming back, mm-hmm. but trusting, having the faith that absolutely it's going to come back. It's going to come back full force. And what you're watching for while you're doing this, Rick, is that you're watching for people to light up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When they light up on that particular day, that's their primary love language. And you can just remember that, make a mental note, and watch for its repeat. Do it over and over again to that person that you found out, you discovered in that way what
0: their primary love language is. Mm. And you can send it. One thing I wanted to dive deeper into on um, what you said, you you said, that you mentioned being married multiple times and you compared it to also your parents' marriage. Take us through your first marriage and your second, what there, I don't know, how many times. You want to speak on that or no? Not really.
2: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, in the, in the first marriage and having eight children, things were things were fine until I became annoyed, like I said. What do
0: you mean by that? They're fine.
2: They're, yeah, things are going good until you're annoyed. Mm. And you're annoyed at either what the wife has done or you're annoyed at what the kids has done. And I just could not control that pattern, that generational pattern that had been passed down through the ages. And and that's that's kind of what what caused the problem spanking um, the I'm, kids
0: you were spanking the kids too
2: yeah i spanked the kids yeah. <laughs> I, told, I told my wife and i told myself that i wouldn't do that but yeah i did but it wasn't it, I, it wasn't severe like like that because you know i could i was could have been reported you know for for severely spanking them cuz yeah. i spanked. i spank yeah, there's there's no question. I spanked them. <laughs> you <ripped> the belt. <laughs> I never did the belt. No, no belt at all. So so what did the you belt. use?
0: Pardon? So how did you spank them if you didn't use a belt? No, oh, no, your hands. How? <laughs> well, you Just... slapped them upside the heads. Oh, on the rear. Oh, okay, okay. So what about the uh, big ones then? What's that? So what about the bigger ones? Well, when they're 10 years old, they
2: start turning around laughing back at me. So after 10, they didn't get spanked. You know, it's just just to kind of get them in the right lane on, on when they're younger than 10. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it stopped. You know, it just, you, you, you get to a point that it's just not worth it. Hmm. Because you're trying to teach children how to, to, you're teaching them not to hit. And here you are hitting them. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, it just didn't work and that that disparity that hypocrisy there is just really something that parents have to overcome you know they've got to have their words match their actions and it's really it's i don't think i'm unique in that
0: regard i think there's a lot of parents that struggle with that but we we're we're missing the the main question is besides the way you were annoyed with the children and with the wife. What other things do you feel like affected your first marriage with the eight children?
2: Well, I think that there were times, um, and I know there were times that we were, we were financially strapped, um, but there were other times that uh, things were things were good. I, I tried to, uh, self-employment, um, as I'm doing now, but I've try, tried self-employment several times, I thought that I could be a boss, and, and it's just interesting to me that that I fluctuate back and forth in, from corporate life back into uh, entrepreneurship, back to corporate life back to entrepreneurship, and just trying to get the training that I needed to be a better leader. And I think that that's, that's a very good question, Rick, about why was it that I could not stay just as an entrepreneur? And I needed those leadership skills. It took me, you know, remember that my father only graduated from eighth grade. My mother never gra- Well, my mother graduated from high school. So there's no college within within the family at that time at all.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: had a brother that went to college, but he was you know 12 years older. But none of my other brothers and sisters ever went to college at the time that we're talking about mm-hmm. during that time frame. Then subsequently, I had another brother that went, and another sister that went, and they graduated. But I was really kind of a pioneer in, in going to college. I decided to go to college, but it took me 22 years to get a college degree. Wow. I had to do it had to do it part time with all the kids and everything, and all the all the financial concerns that way. I had to do it part time. Mm-hmm. It was just bootstrapping my way. But finally, when I was 42 years 42 years old. I, I was able to get a college degree and... Did your life change
0: after the college degree or not really? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so it elevates your, your salary, that college degree elevates your salary and things started to change for the better, but the damage had been done. At you know, Just three years after I got my college degree, then my wife and I you know, parted company, we separated and divorced. So and what happened to the eight kids then? Well there was, three of the kids were already gone, and I had, um, I had the five children. I was a primary uh, custodian for the five children that remained after the divorce. And my wife decided she wanted a, a different lifestyle, um, and she, so she she didn't want want the children that would disrupt her lifestyle that she wanted.
0: What well, you so mean? That, different lifestyle.
2: Just a lifestyle that uh, is not conducive to having a family. Just. She wanted to be single, she wanted to run around, she wanted to do those kind of things that that um, uh, really the children shouldn't be watching or seeing anyway and, and you know it's not, it's not a good thing. But she did, she did have the children on the weekends. Well, and on those, those weekends what I did, Rick, was I, I took up in this midlife crisis of mine, being separated and everything and being divorced, I took up destination dating. And I was living in Charleston, South Carolina, at the time, and so I went down to Daytona Beach, in Jacksonville, Florida, wow. Columbia, South Carolina, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, Nashville, Kansas City, New York City, Cabo San Lucas, Phoenix. Salt what to mean, City. girls? I, I, that's where, when destination dating is that the, uh, you live in a different place and you meet in a place. So this is where I met these women. But they don't live in,
0: there. Pardon? But
2: they don't live there for real. Some of them did live there in those cities, but some of them not. Oh. No, a person from New York City who actually was from Phoenix. So oh, I'm from Charleston. She's from Phoenix. We met in New York City. Wow, that's so it was interesting. A, like a destination date. So
0: how was that though?
2: Like, oh, it was fun for me. I mean, I you don't find love that way, but it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> you find friends is all you find. You find friends
0: with benefits. Find, <laughs>
2: you find acquaintances, and that's about it. And it's not, I wasn't into the benefit so much that at that point in time. So it's just, I, I kept it clean. I kept it above board. I was a gentleman the whole time. Um, but it was just, and it was just fun traveling around. But I'm telling you, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, just like that song.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's just, um, it was one of those things. So so I'm done with that. I did it for a year and a half, spent over $10,000 at the time. I bet. I, lying here and there, and it was this, and that's kind of Wait, the most. Wait, what career you had at that
0: time? I was doing mortgage brokering. Okay.
2: Brokerage.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, so every time you closed on a deal, you was tricking. <laughs> I a good deal, and then I'd make it an, even better deal. A better deal. I bet.
2: <laughs> A great time. So, so I'm done with that. I moved moved from Charleston, South Carolina, to Phoenix, and and uh, thinking that this girl that was from Phoenix might uh, might be have a little interest. She had zero interest in making a long-term relationship. It was just that destination dating was fun, and she liked doing that, and and we are friends, and that was that's all it all amounted to. So at the time, my sister thinks I'm sad. She uh-huh. thinks I'm really really lonely, and so she decides. I'm gonna introduce you to my neighbors, what she said.
1: Wow.
2: She's, she lives seven hours away from Phoenix. I said, I don't wanna do any more destination dating. That did not work out. I done. I don't want to spend the money. I just don't wanna do it. Mm. And she's an she's older sister. So in that family makeup, I'm between two girls at the end. I'm a thorn between two roses. I bet. And it's just, <laughs> and so, so, and I gotta do what big sister says. I'm number ten of eleven. I don't have any say in anything. Mm-hmm. I'm on the I'm on the bottom end of everything. I don't really didn't have any uh, any right to say anything because there are older siblings all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so so when she said I said I don't want to do that. She said Oh come on. And so I said All right. And I really kind of half heartedly said Oh I'll do it. I emailed this lady her neighbor uh, my sister's neighbor and we started developing this relationship over email and Yeah, messenger. with the email. <laughs> it's email. It's really low level, low level up. Just, not, my heart's not in it, but wow. I started getting some emails back and some t- text back and, and or some messengers back and I thought, this lady's kind of cool. And I just kept doing it and we just kind of developed this little relationship mm. until I started and now, now I started traveling. So I leave at 5 p.m. from phoenix get to my sister's house at at midnight wow. we'd have a date walk around the neighborhood have a little date i'd go to bed at like five in the morning get up at ten be back over to her house we did that for several weekends i'd leave on sunday at five and ride back in phoenix at midnight wow. and so and then go back to work wow. and, and so i did that for a few months and then finally decided i'm going to move back move up there and so i moved, moved here to st george utah where and then started dating a little bit more and then it's time... Well you moved you know, up with the kids too? No, no, the the kids, my, my wife after three and a half years of running around, she, she decided she wanted the kids back and there were only three left at the time and she actually decided she was gonna move in with her parents that lived in California mm-hmm. and so I thought this would be a great opportunity for the kids to get to know their grandparents and thankfully I did that about two months after after the kids moved in, their grandfather passed away. He, he discovered suddenly that he had cancer, was very fast moving, and he passed away. Wow. And so, so the kids were there to comfort grandma and everything. And it was just kind of a better situation. So I'm, I am all alone. I, am, I don't have the kids with me. Oh. Good qu- question, yeah.
0: Oh, so, so you enjoy yourself now. <laughs> what
2: am I supposed to do with that? Advertise? Hello, Rick. I'm mm-hmm. Gis. What do you have for me today? I mean it's just awkward to try to, to try to have communication. So that's when I talk, contacted Dr. Chapman, asked him if he was going to license any of those icons or if he was doing any license, you know, I was going to make it a game. Because I remember when I was little, even as dysfunctional as our family was, I remember when I was little that I liked playing games in my family. And it just kind of brought the family together. I wondered if something like that with the love languages would actually bring the family together and bring people together. So uh, that was my idea. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: His attorney sent me back a letter, said, no, we're not licensing those. So I found a a copyright attorney here in my town, and he said that theory is not copyrightable, but application is. So my application of making this a game uh, was fine. I made my own icons. Put the pictures on there, and then just um, made it work. Just roll the die every day. Give away that love language all day long. Hmm.
0: So, are you selling it as a game online? Yeah, yeah, it's on. It's online. And, and where can they find it? So they can find it on my website. The website's
2: roll of love, r o l e of love.com. So it's kind of a play on words, Rick. Um, R-O-L-L is what you do with the die, mm-hmm. when you rolling the die. But R-O-L-E changes you inside. And so that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to make sure that this changes inside. It's, it's really kind of miraculous. If you believe in miracles, this is a modern-day miracle. Because I had that stacking that, that, that I was doing of the annoyances and flashing, and my brother had it too. Mm-hmm. Everybody in my family had it. But by focusing on loving, focusing now, the new, the new mindset is, what's right about that person? What can I love about that person? Before, I would always go to the critical side, say, well, what's wrong with that person? Yeah. And then go down that critical path and you get to the judgment, and, and then you're just, you're kind of m- messed up because you're watching somebody else, you're making a judgment call which isn't yours about somebody else, and then you're getting annoyed about that. Mm-hmm. And found that I was so busy watching for what's right about people mm-hmm. and what there was what the good parts of people were that I didn't even I didn't even go there. Thirty days of doing that is all it took for me, right? Mm-hmm. Thirty days. And
0: miraculously I have never gone back. I don't get annoyed like that anymore. Wow. So did you have to go through therapy or work on your anger? Because it seems like anger issues run through your family, like you said. I did.
2: I actually did. You know what? I was. I actually voluntarily went, to, uh, after a, 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 an incident in my family, I voluntarily went to anger management mm-hmm. and um, was there for 12 months. And a, vol- a volunteer inside a anger management class is really kind of a different thing because most of the other people are there involuntarily. Mm -hmm. They got caught. They didn't volunteer information that they'd done something wrong in their family. They got caught. And so one guy got caught. He was holding his uh, wife up by the neck with his hand like this, Mm -hmm. her feet off the the ground and her her back against the wall until she fainted. Mm -hmm. So that was why he was there, domestic violence. Another one, he beat his his, uh, girlfriend so badly that she was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Those guys got caught doing really bad things. I, I slapped my son, that's what happened. I slapped my son and, and turned myself in. Said that you know, I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to overcome that that problem mm-hmm. that was
0: handed down for generations and generations. Mm-hmm. I wanted to overcome it. So let me ask you a question. Did you ever see your father put hands on your mother? Never. Mm. Did your mother ever complain about that? Complain about not being slapped? No, <laughs> no, come, complain about getting being slapped.
2: <laughs> no, no, she, you know, she, she more or less held her tongue because she didn't want to cross, and that was one thing that you know my mother and father kind of decided that they're going to be on the same page. And I realized that early on that they always decided they were going to be on the same page with the children, which is really when you're parenting, that's really a good thing because you don't want to uh, kind of be in conflict when you're in front of the children and you're facing a, a situation. You don't want to have parental conflict because the, now the child's one. Regardless of what happens, the child really has one. And so it wasn't ever that type of situation. And I think my mother, if she opposed, the spankings, and if she opposed any of the punishments, she probably would be telling the bad stuff that happened during the week mm-hmm. that we did, that we never even remembered, and that we got spanked or we got the belt or whatever we got punished for the bad things that we did during the week mm-hmm. that we don't even didn't even remember. Mm-hmm. So I think that if she was on board, uh, uh, I think she probably was on board with the discipline the way that discipline, I just had a, a, a memory today, too, and this kind of gives you the, the feeling of what the era was. It was. It's like Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Mm-hmm. There was nobody to call about child abuse during that time frame. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who, who there was. In fact, my I remember my brothers actually in Woodshop in high school making paddles that had little divots in it, they drilled down, um, not all the way through, but halfway, or just down maybe an eighth of an inch, and put little little uh, marks in the paddle. Had a handle and everything, and it was a whacking paddle. It was something that you would spank people with. That's what they made in woodshop, and the and the school board, they, they were they were supporting that. They were allowing kids to make that. And that was a suggested type of of project that. Wait, would, but uh, what
0: would they do with it after they make it? What was that like a fetish thing?
2: No, no, they they, they would hold it in a room. and It became more of a weapon than anything else.
0: To use against who?
1: Brothers,
2: <laughs> 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 you know, a brother so against brother, or, or parents? Don't, don't mess with my stuff, type of, type of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was more of a more of a threat. It's just like wearing a. a Pistol on your on your hip and walking around, it's like gunslinging, only it's with
0: a paddle. Then, what do you think about that walking around with a pistol on your belt? Do you think that's looking for, that's looking for war, or you think that's 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 looking for peace?
2: Well, it depends on on the situation. I think that it's I think that obviously the policemen need to have that for for our protection and for their own protection. They're the ones that are catching those the bad guys uh, that are doing things, and they pro- they probably need that for themselves. But I think that um, somebody brandishing something like that, um, there's there's a message there. That there's a message that they want to send that way, and uh, and
0: what message is that?
2: Uh, the message message that don't mess with me, don't mess with me, and I think that you can you can send that message in other ways. But it's just it's a better the better message to send is. Yeah, you know, I care about you. I love you. I mean, what is their love? There is some good. I believe Rick. There's good in every people, every, everybody. Some good in everyone, mm-hmm. and, and and that's what we're watching for. When we're rolling the die, when you're sending out the love language, you're watching for what's right about them, and you're and you're kind of focusing on that. I do a lot of that with words, um, even even for yourself, for the great humanitarian efforts that you're doing in Haiti that you introduce the program with. And, and the things that you're, you're doing and what your ministry is doing, those are great things that I, I would have never known unless you... Um, if I, I could look it up, I imagine, but I would have never known unless you said something about it. And Those are things that you praise people about. Those are things that they, you say that that person has a really kind heart. That person is helping people outside of themselves. It's not about them. And it's not about boasting about doing that sort of thing. It's about helping other people and making their day a little bit better. We all have people that we can reach down to to pull up. We all have, even on our lowest day, right, on our very lowest day, there's always somebody having a worse day than us, always. And there's people that have a lot better days, but there's people, wherever we're at, there will always be people that have the worst day. Our responsibility is to lift them up and that's what this is all about you know the um the sanskrit dialect in northern india mm-hmm. has given us wor- words in our language they, g- they give us the words of nirvana which is a worship word mm. they give us the word karma uh, and they also give us a word called namaste that's uh, putting the hands together with your thumb to the chest and then they say namaste Both bow their head and close their eyes and say namaste it's a reverence to that person and it's really kind of a sacred thing that they do they do it and the hindu hindu interpretation of that is that the god in me sees the god in you or put another way the divine in me sees the divine in you and the only god
0: that man will see is the god in you and me The only God that man will see is the God within you and, and me. That's right. That's
2: right. Oh, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. So watch for it. I mean, we're children of God. Watch for that. Watch for for that that heritage that we have. And focus on that. And if we focus on that and stop focusing on what's wrong with people or the mistakes that people make it, just think of it this way. If we send anger out, we get immediate return on that investment. We send love out, it, we got to trust that it's going to come back. It's almost like putting money into a piggy bank, but we're sending it out there without any any thought of reciprocation, sending it out there without a, any expectation that it's coming back. Mm-hmm. But Let me give you an
0: example, right? Because you gave me an example about what you did right, the sacrifices. Oftentimes right now, In the dating world it seems that sometimes things could be unbalanced in the sense that you talking about um, investments and expecting a return on your investment at times and love not being transitional okay nowadays if you were to go on a date with a woman um, she's gonna expect you to pay for it right and let's say the woman like you said she might live further than you so you might be paying expenses like let's say gas maybe tow, um, or whatnot, whatever else in between or whatnot. And when you get there, you then have to pick her up, you know, get yourself ready, all the things that come along with it, and then you're paying for the meal, right? And to pay for two people nowadays is highly expensive. And then at the end of the, the night, she's going to say, oh, just because you paid don't make doesn't mean that I have to Pay you with sex. Okay. That's fair. Granted we both ate. We, we both enjoyed ourselves. That's fine. But at the same time. There's people that will use that as a manipulation. In a sense that. They'll say oh, okay it's not transitional. But at the same time they'll still continue to try to lure you in. With sexual induendos Or with the promise of sex. Or with the illusion of the promise of sex. So that they could continue to benefit or or reap the benefits of, of of that transaction without having to give nothing in exchange. So, what's your thoughts on that?
2: So, my thoughts are that that you're you're talking about a transaction, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this transactions are not love. Mm-hmm. So, if you're you're sending something out and hoping that something's coming back to you that's reciprocation and that's a transaction mm-hmm. that's not that's not what i'm talking about at all that's not that's not what i wrote the book about that's not what i wrote made the dice for that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about genuine love genuine care for for a human being mm-hmm. and re- regardless of the outcome regardless if she refuses sex and and then it's it, it's there's you're not looking for that. Hopefully you're not looking for that. Mm-hmm. Because if you're looking for that, that's a transaction. You're having that expectation. Just it's not about you anymore, Rick, and it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's about them. And it's about making them feel loved. And about helping them feel like they're on the top of the world. When they feel that way, they're gonna spread that influence that loving influence to all the people within their circle of influence just contrast that with anger you make somebody have a bad day because you're angry at them and, and that and or you're angry because of something else you send that out and you make somebody else have a bad day and they're going to send that to their circle of influence and I think that's kind of where the world's become, uh, come to is that we're just sending out too much anger okay. too much anger I understand
0: uh, I understand that. But I'm saying what I'm saying is that okay, it's not transitional but at the same time someone is making a transaction, the person that is spending the amount of money. So within the dating phase where both people are dating and they're both trying to get to know each other and they're both showing different expressions of love, do you believe that both individuals should spend money on each other or or do you believe in where the woman states the man pays for every single thing all all the way up until she feels that it's time for her to show some reciprocation.
2: Yeah, we're in 2020, and I would say that there's got to be some particip- participation that way. That's just my own personal opinion. And it, it, that just, um, most of the time, they're working, and you're working. They have... Uh, 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 sometimes women have a greater income than men so I think it should be kind of an equal thing that way as far as who pays for what and and I think most people that would be reasonable would understand that that's not the biggest thing that you're gonna face, who pays for it and don't worry about paying for it, what you're trying to accomplish if you're dating, you should be trying to accomplish is the relationship, building a relationship and it has nothing to do with money. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Absolutely, has nothing to do with money. So, I think that in a in a just a logical sense, kind of a a, a, a judicial type wait wait of, let me,
0: wait wait hold on hold on. You said it has nothing to do with money. I think it does because money has a lot to do with where you sleep, where you eat, how you live, and who you're around. And I think when it comes to even dating, like you know your your apartment has to be decent. You have to be able to bring them somewhere. Like women get hungry a lot, so they're gonna be like, oh I'm hungry. Like they'll they'll sit and wait hours until you come and meet them just so you can buy them the food so they don't have to pay for it. So it's like you know,
2: this is this is real That's life. That waiting, that waiting power, huh? Is that, is that what you're finding out there? <laughs> I'm out of the dating market, so you have to educate me this on this Rick. My, you're gonna have to tell me how is it out there. It sounds like it's pretty rough, and so uh, it's horrible, I, I, man. It, it sounds horrible. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry that it's my way, but in my experience, that that the, a reasonable woman will occasionally cough up and occasionally pay for things. Back to uh, my own situation right now. I pay for all the bills, I pay for the house, I pay for the food, I pay for the electricity, I pay for all those things, wow. and my my wife is in charge of fun. Mm-hmm. So if she wants to have fun, it's on it's on her. So she she has tried to make these exotic trips, and we, we've had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of fun, because she's in charge of fun. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of that yellow personality, and just likes to have a lot of fun. So she's in charge of that, and she's paying for that. Wow. So that's how... That's how we split it. And I think that you can come to terms with whoever you're dating and come to terms with that early because you should not be, as a male, I don't think you should be expected to pay for everything, Mm. absolutely everything, because it should be give and take. That's what love is all about.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the point that I was trying to drive home. Like... Don't make the statement that you're not about to be used, but at the same time you're trying to use someone. It's not fair. It's supposed to be even. You know.
2: I don't. I wouldn't get caught up on it. I wouldn't get hung up on that. Like I said, you're trying to get to their heart. You're trying to find out who. who what makes this person tick? Mm. What is so? What is good about this person? And watch for those things. And like I say. That really That's character within, and that has nothing to do with money. That's what I'm telling you. That not, has nothing to do with money. Someone that absolutely loves you really wouldn't care where they lived as long as it's in a, in a safe, uh, place that they felt safe. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your job, and that's my job, Rick, as, as males. Uh, our job is to make those women feel safe, and wherever they feel safe, there's going to be love there. And they can, they can, they're the homemaker, they're the one that can make it, make the a house a home, an apartment a home, and they're just the one that doll it up. When I got married, I had some people, some men that knew me before, before I um, got married, and then after I got married, and that was set the, probably a couple weeks after I got married, they came in that house where we lived and said, oh, almost I have got married, this looks different in here. And, and, <laughs> been dulled up and it had been, had been upgraded obviously because she was there mm-hmm. and so so it's just that sort of thing. I think that women really adorn men that they, they really make men look good in that
0: way. Yeah that's good man. so what do you feel like has been the greatest thing that you have learned from marriage and that you would like to share with the people watching? I think that
2: if you, you know, you go back to, uh, I'm going to address it, address that question. and Thank you for that question. Right. I'm going to address it in a way from, uh, from kind of from the Bible, mm-hmm. that, uh, about the, the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. That when Jesus, Jesus is, is doing the Last Supper, he says, one of you will betray me. And, and the, answer, or the question that all the disciples ask of Jesus, Lord, is it I? That if we can just take that phrase into our marriage, Lord, is it I? Mm-hmm. And just consider our own actions, consider our own thoughts, consider everything that we're doing. Is it me that's causing this disruption within this relationship? Mm-hmm. And if we we'll just do that refreshing of our own, own, that self-actualization, so to speak, of our own actions and our own thoughts, Lord, is it I? We will be given the information, it will be, come to us, we'll be given the information, what do I need to do to make this relationship better? And put it on yourself. Quit blaming other people, or blaming your spouse, or blaming your significant other for a relationship falling apart. Take care of yourself, make sure that you are the very best that you can be, and always ask, Lord is it I, and ask ask Him, what can I do to improve? What can I do better? What is it that would help me be
1: a better
0: person within this relationship mm-hmm. I hear you, I hear you and going back to that, the last supper where you said Lord Lord is it I and you know just even thinking about that you know the moments leading up to that and everything and just this entire conversation it seems that you're led by faith a lot So, so tell us how long you've been in the faith and how has the faith molded your life
2: my, my father never, never joined any church at all, but my mother joined the church um, three years before I was born, and I was raised in faith with, with that. So I was kind of raised in the faith, but we just had that conflict, always that conflict. You know, they, they were smokers and drinkers. They, they taught us children, don't smoke, don't drink. It was, like, it was like the spanking, don't you hit anybody, and then they'd hit you. And it was just that that hypocritical sense that, that had and we really had to I uh, really had to learn um, to try to be a true person. Try to what is genuine? What is something that where words match actions? And, and that really was something that religion did for me. Is that whatever Jesus said, that's what he did, and and it, it helped me understand that there's somebody. There's actually somebody, there's an example out there of somebody that has their words and their actions reconciled, they have it together, and I wanted to be like that, like a person like that, that would, by whatever I said, I would mean what I said, mm-hmm. and, and not in a mean way, and I don't mean mean in the mean way, but it would, it would be exactly what I would do, and so my words and actions would match, I wanted that
0: in my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that led you to Christianity,
2: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's actually kept me along the path Christianity all through this time, and I had a long ways to go. You you, you can understand from the story I told about my grandfather and about that gener- those generational dysfunctions that were passed down. I had to one by one stop stop that stop that generational um, damage that was continuing on because my parents didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, my, and their parents didn't know, and the only pass we only get from our parents what they know. and so we don't know what what they didn't know. we don't know what we don't know. And so what what it work, uh, what it worked out is that uh, so I, I just wanted to be more like Jesus having having that um, you know just just having the words and actions match together and that's that's all I can say. I just I've been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Trying, trying, just keep trying. I think those are the best people. that You want to associate with those kind of people, those kind of people that realize their weaknesses, those kind of people that realize that, that with God they're nothing, and with, or without God they're nothing. Mm-hmm. And with, with God's help they can be something. They can be a better person. I think it's very important.
0: Yeah. I know that there's a scripture in the book of Matthew. Where Jesus is speaking to the people and he said that he's telling them basically to look, look at the Pharisees and the Pharisees and to listen to what they preach but to what they practice do not. For they preach it but do they, they do not practice it. And I spoke on this twice. The first, one, I, first time I spoke on it I called it um, Practicing While Preaching. And so a lot of the times when you put into a certain role, like you said, like you want to be a man of your word, you want to do everything that you that you say that you're going to do, so you want to do it, and you want to be more Christ-like. But then even if we go back to around the same time, prior to the, the Last Supper, when Christ was, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he went to pray, and then he was asking his father to take the bitter cup away from him, And, you know, they were saying that he was under so much stress that it was almost like he was sweating blood at the time. And we see the human aspect of Christ where he has to do certain things, even things that he doesn't want to do. And his flesh is going against it, but his will, or you could say the God in him, the spirit, is giving him strength. Because they said that an angel or spirit came in and provided him comfort during that time.
2: Minister,
0: right. And so when we put all that together and then we look at life right now, when we go are going through all these difficult times and we are going through these hardships or whatever it is, whether it be love, whether it be life, and we're asking for God to take it away and we're asking for, you know, refuge and God is saying, My grace is sufficient and so we're asking For that grace to come faster, or for the grace to come in a way of which we expect it to be, knowing that we will never be perfect like Christ, and that's when—and that's what the scripture says. The scripture says that my grace is sufficient because when you are at your weakest, that's when I am at my strongest. So we need that weakness so that we can lean upon God, and I think just being. Wanting to be closer to Christ or wanting to be more like Christ is what helps us to continue to do the work and help us to continue to move forward. At least for me, I'm speaking for, for myself on my behalf.
2: I absolutely agree with you, Rick. And I want to take a look at the picture right behind me here. And and this, this is something that an epiphany I had. I was a, a route driver for about a year, probably, I'm thinking maybe 25 years ago. Uh, and I was. I would get up in the morning, prior to dawn, and I'd, and I'd be on the road, and I'd come home after, after sunset. So I saw a lot of sunsets, and a lot of, saw a lot of sunrises, and a lot of sunsets mm-hmm. in, in, in that route job that I had. But what, it, what the epiphany was, was that the very best sunrises, like this one, and the very best sunsets all have clouds. Mm-hmm. And that, and it's that adversity that we have in our life, those clouds that we have in our life that polish us. It's that it's those weaknesses or those clouds in our life that's actually at the end of a life going to be an absolute beautiful sunset. We're the ones that create the silver linings in those clouds as we go through those that, that adversity in our life, as we uh, work with Jesus, work with. God to help us through those clouds, He's the one that helps it be so beautiful for us. We couldn't most of us couldn't
0: do it without him. Amen, Amen. And with that we at time. So we thank you all for joining us. I want to thank my special guest, Paul, for joining in. Paul was very determined to be on the show. We actually missed Monday. Monday was a holiday. I lost track of time. He was able to reschedule for today. So I want to thank you very much for coming on the platform. For the people that want to get um, your dice, right, one more time, where can they get the dice from? And You can
2: get it from my website, rolloflove.com, R-O-L-E-of-love.com. And I've got a book available and a journal as well, so they can keep track of what they roll, what opportunities they see, and what they do about those
0: opportunities every day. Yeah, you should send us one, you know? <laughs>
2: Absolutely, should. I'd be glad to. Yeah. Send me
0: okay, I'll do that. So, appreciate it. Um, also, once again, we thank all of you that continue to support the ministry, all of you that continue to support everything that we're doing. Um, this year has been a phenomenal year, you know, from the different experiences to the different places to even getting awarded. Um, the different award shows, the different galas, being able to meet different people. And we want to thank God for helping this ministry continue to grow. And it has been a ministry of love and it's been been able to be successful because of you, because of your prayers, because of your well wishes, and because of your donations. And so we wouldn't be able to do it without you. And therefore, we want to thank you. We'll close us out with a prayer. Paul, you want to close out with the prayer? Sure.
2: Well, to. Our eternal Father, and him. we're so grateful for Ricard and for the ministry that he's doing, for the love that he has for the, for the love that he has for Thy children. Bless him in his ministry and bless him with donations that they might continue the ministry, that he might have his coffers overflow with, with the funds that he needs to accomplish thy will. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you all for watching and God bless and good night. Take
1: care. It's a It's a It's a